God bless you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here with you. You know, together we are Greenbelt Church. This month we've been uh, going through a sermon series based on the letter to Titus. And last week, Pastor Kevin was talking about sound doctrine out of chapter 2. This week, as you've already said, or we've already seen, he's not, even, not only was he in Niagara Falls, but now he's in Medellin, Colombia. After 24 hours of travel, he has arrived there, and he's preaching perhaps right now because they're on the same time zone as we are. So we're going to just have it. We just ask for a short prayer, and we're going to have that for him just right now. Dear God, we pray that uh, he will be rested after 24 hours of jumping on and off planes. and uh, Well, maybe not jumping off planes, Lord, but in and out of airports and cars and all that. And uh, we pray that uh, he will be able to proclaim your word by your spirit and in power, and that the interpreter, uh, through your uh, work, uh, Holy Spirit, will be able to uh, pass that message on and to impact people in their mother tongue. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This week we're going to uh, carry on in the uh, book of Titus in chapter 3. Back in April, actually way back in 2021, I rented this power lawn roller. Now these things are about, if you're not familiar with them, they're, they're about the size of a uh, snowblower. And you walk along behind them, and it has its own power. Uh, only thing is it's got this big, heavy steel drum on it, and you fill it with water, and then it's really heavy. So I did my front yard, and then I have a strip of grass about a meter and a half wide between my driveway and the neighbor's driveway. And partway along that strip, there's a bit of a stretch that tilts a little bit toward the neighbor's drive. So anyway, I'm going along with this thing, and it starts to tilt, and it's getting a little tipsy. So I quickly hit reverse. The wheel, the big drum stops, but the big drum doesn't reverse. Instead, everything else goes up and over, including me hanging on to this thing. So somewhere in mid-flight, I let go, and uh, I fall down. I get up. God, thank you, nobody saw. You know. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the lawn roll has gone right over upside down. All of this drama is taking place about one foot from the neighbor's car. So I knock on the door and I say, uh, could you move your vehicle for a couple minutes, please? Which they do. Then I go to my other neighbor on the other side and uh, I say, uh, could you give me a hand for a moment? Which he does. So the two of us uh, come up to this thing. And of course, we have a good chuckle together when he sees this. And then, I, uh, and then together, we wrestle this thing up onto its feet. Now, thankfully, uh, no, nobody was hurt. There was no property damage, not even to the roller. These things are tough. And my ego was only bruised slightly. <laughs> and my neighbor was being helpful. He was doing what is good. Now, you're probably saying, Ron, where are you going with this story? Doing what is good just happens to be the title of our message today. First, a little context review. Uh, the writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul. Now, this is one of 13 letters 
that actually make up 27% of the New Testament. They're all together in the middle. I never realized this. All of Paul's writings are together in the middle of the New Testament. And, of course, the New Testament itself is about a quarter of the overall Bible, the part that was written after Jesus walked on the planet as a man. The recipient is Titus. He's a younger man. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Uh, like most of the people in the early church came from a Jewish background. And he's one of Paul's converts. Crete is one of the larger islands in the Mediterranean. It's about one and a half times the size of Prince Edward Island. And during the middle of the first century, it had an uh, unsavory reputation for low moral behavior. Paul and Titus uh, worked there briefly together, and they introduced new life in Christ to the people on the island. Then Paul left to do other ministries elsewhere. He left Titus there to uh, organize the new followers of Jesus and to appoint leaders or elders in each of the towns and villages on the island. Big job for a young man. And later on, Paul wrote this letter just to clarify and reinforce his instructions uh, to uh, Titus. One distinctive characteristic of this letter is an emphasis on doing what is good. When I was uh, prepping for this message, I, I went on, on the Internet and I was looking around. I, I came across a list of things to talk about doing good and whatnot. There's 15 passages in the New Testament that emphasize something along the line of doing what is good. No big deal. 15 in the New Testament. But get this. Six of the 15 are in this little two-page letter. And half of those are in our chapter today. So, let's see if we can spot these three reminders we're going to read the entire chapter from verse 1 to 15. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, to do whatever is good. There's the first one. Verse 2, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all, by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves 
to doing what is good. There's the second one. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and are self-condemned. Verse 12, as soon as I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you, you know, I had to go online to figure out how to uh, pronounce Tychicus. Anyway, do your best to come to see me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. There's the third time. In order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And that brings us right to our big idea for this morning. We are saved by good works. Oh, I thought I heard some murmuring, some concern here. Thank you. We are not saved by good works, are we? No, we just, someone, whoever did that murmuring and had those concerns, we just saved Pastor Kevin from revamping the whole preaching schedule for the next three weeks. Thank you. He thanks you. Yes, we did read a lot about works, but we also read in verse 5 and verse 7 He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And then down in verse 7 so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And I, I had it on the screen, I had originally a uh, little thing. We are t- saved or transformed by, in red, with a stroke through it, like you do when you're doing uh, track changes in Word or one of those Word processors. And then uh, to-do in blue, good works. I came across a thing uh, some time ago. It said, grace, grace is unmerited favor. Uh, whereas wages are merited payment for work. Hopefully well done. So let's try again to express our big idea. We are saved or transformed to do, to do good works. Better now? Not sure? Well, let's see if we can make it work. There's that word work again. Speaking about work, I was one of those uh, average students who had to work pretty hard to get through some of my engineering courses. Somewhere in the middle of all that, 
I said to one of my friends, you've got more joy in your life than anybody else that I know. Now, I know that joy is not a uh, core engineering topic. However, we could try and illustrate it graphically. If I'm going along through life, if this is the joy axis, I'm going along, you know, with my ups and downs as a young student. The people I know are all in a spectrum like this. And I'm probably in the bottom half of that spectrum, but not too far off the, you know, the middle, the average. This person, though, is up here. They're off the chart. Now, I don't recall their uh, immediate response during this conversation. But later on, they told me what they were thinking right then. They were thinking, Ron, you are in big trouble, boy, because I'm at a low point in my life. Now, I thought I was looking at a mountain of joy up here. I was looking at a valley of discontent. <laughs> Shows you where I was, right? This person was uh, discontented relatively in their, uh, from their perspective because their career plans were being derailed by circumstances beyond their control. But that person surprised me. They were living what we called back in October in our uh, Bell series of, of uh, messages. They were living a questionable life. They caused me to go into search mode beyond the engineering curriculum. So for several months, I did some extracurricular thinking about life in general and about the life of Jesus in particular as I was reading through, for the first time, the four Gospels, the four good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I was on a voyage of discovery, and I found out five things. Number one, God is. Now, that was a huge revelation for a young uh, atheist. Huge. Number two, Ron is not the center of the universe, which was my default mode, uh, you know, consciously or otherwise. Number three, Jesus was the God-man who came and walked on the earth to show us what God looks like. Number four, Ron is not up to God's standard of behavior or character. And number five, Jesus still is, and he took the hit for me. Each one of us, at uh, any time in our life, can press the update and restart icon and have a little chat with God. Dear God, I wronged you, and possibly I've wronged a lot of other people trying to do things my way. Please forgive me. Jesus, thank you for volunteering willingly to die on the cross to pay for my selfishness and my pride. Please send your spirit to live within me 
to change me from the inside out, to guide my life, to help me to love you best and to love other people a whole lot more. Now, if you've just had a similar conversation with God, or when you do, please uh, tell me or a friend, because we would love to celebrate this life restart with you. So coming back to our big idea, we are saved or transformed not by, but to do good works. Now, we went through this editing process, which I described, because Ron was mixing two different questions here. How are we saved versus why are we saved? And if you've been doing uh, life with Jesus for a while, you may have added a third question. God, why am I still down here anyway? Why not just beam me right up to heaven right now? We're more likely to voice or to think that third question if we're having a bad day. Wednesday morning, I got up, looked out the window, snow coming down, snow on the ground, snow, no, here we go again, my car is going to be dirty. God, why am I still down here in Ottawa? How can we be saved from snow? Why should we be saved? From winter. You know, people write books about each one of those questions, minus the little taglines that I stuck on them, right? And also, of course, you can find articles about dealing with winter or escaping from it as well. Speaking about publications, have you ever, have you ever thought that the Apostle Paul is sometimes a little wordy, the way he expresses things? Uh, you know, like those run-on sentences that Kevin mentioned, I think it was last week, uh, And in fact, we had one of those today. From the middle of verse 5 to the end of verse 7 is one sentence. And there's got to be at least four or five or six thoughts in there that you have to kind of keep lined up in your mind in order to get the, the, uh, the whole sense of it. Well, just check this out. When I was prepping this message, I came across three verses right together that answer all three of these questions we've been talking about. How are we saved? Why are we saved? God, why am I still down here? And not only that, those verses sort of relate those questions, how they fit together. The Apostle Paul, again, writing uh, another letter, this time to the church in Ephesus. And in chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not by works, so that no one can boast. There is the answer to the first question. How are we saved? It's not by works, it's by grace, it's a gift from God. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For what purpose? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's the answer to the second question. Why are we saved? To do good works. And the third question, why are we still down here? 
So it's all tied together in those uh, three verses. Where works do not fit into God's plan for any of us, and where works do fit into God's plan for everyone who hits the restart, the update and restart icon and starts following Jesus with the Jesus operating system. And the uh, crossover point, if you will, between those two uh, areas is right here in the middle. When in math, we would call the discontinuity. But we're going to call it the crossover point where Jesus died on the cross. Works don't count. Works do count. So once I reset my life, from me, my, me, my, mine, to following Jesus, God has a list of works prepared for me to do. Now, did you catch that little bit that's it's in advance? He's already got that list uh, figured out before I hit the restart button on my life. Neat. But why does he have works for us to do? Well, I think the only one with the pay grade to answer that question is Jesus himself. And he does that. Uh, The disciple Matthew records that in chapter 5, verse 16. And if you have one of those uh, Bibles at home like I do that has red letters for everything that Jesus says, this is red letters. This is Jesus talking. Verse 16, chapter 5. In the same way, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God prepares things for you and I to do down here in Ottawa, in the winter, in the snow if necessary, to help other people see God and to bring glory to God. Now, just imagine this for a second. Little imperfect me or imperfect you can somehow add more glory to the glory of God, more glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amazing. Blows my mind, really. But Jesus is the one who said this, and he ought to know. So God has a pre-planned to-do list for each one of us after we hit that update and restart icon on our life and we start following the Jesus operating system. But what does that mean to Ron? You know, I have my own to-do list. I'm one of those people who uh, get a, a certain amount of satisfaction at the end of the day of, you know, ticking off the things that I've got done on this list. Now, sometimes I tick off my wife as well <laughs> with one of her unfavorite phrases. But, hon, that's not on the, to, the list for today. Sometimes the list has to be adjusted on the fly. And what about God's itinerary? Do any, do any of his items show up on my list or on your list? You know, whether you keep your tasks on paper like I keep my daily ones or I have some of the other ones on the computer or you have them on your cell phone or 
uh, just up here like I used to do when I was younger. Speaking for myself, without these notes, I'm guessing we'd already be in the cafe. Whatever way that you or I track our activities, it might be sensible to exercise some uh, spiritual due diligence here and just think for a little bit about what is a good deed or a good work anyway. Well, you may say, oh, come on, Ron, that's totally obvious, you know. Our conscience will tell us, um, God's spirit will tell us, this uh, book will tell us. We've got lots of federal laws uh, to tell us, lots of provincial laws, lots of municipal bylaws. We've got health and safety and workplace um, regulations and things. All that stuff together uh, will tell us what to do. Agree, agree, and agree. However, wouldn't it be nice to just have some summary um, that we can hang on to? I came across a set of criteria on the Internet, again, from a pastor, Brian Wolfmuller. And it goes like this. A good work is something that is done in faith in God. It's done in obedience to God. And it's done for the glory of God. It's God-centered. Oh, yeah. And secondly, it's done for the benefit of other people. One other thought that I will add from Pastor Kevin, I think it was last week. A good work or a good deed should attract other people toward Jesus. Now for a little audience participation moment here. Hope you're awake. Based on our good deed criteria, that it's God-centered. Did I do that? God-centered, and that it's outward-focused on other people, what might be a not-so-good deed? A not-so-good deed would be something that is, shout it out, please. Self-centered. Thank you very much. Absolutely, that's A+. In fact, you're exempt from the rest of the studies for the year. Yeah, it's something to bring me attention or maybe to ease my guilt. Or maybe it's to show other people what a great guy we are or gal. Uh, Maybe it's to make us feel self-righteous or maybe somehow to put God on our debt. Now, let's just stop on that one just for a second here. Somehow put God in our debt. myself on the notes here but isn't that the ultimate presumption somehow I can pile up you know I'm starting way down here probably negative somewhere through the, through the floor I'm piling up good works and deeds and I'm going to get it high enough 
so that I somehow have God under my thumb, if I can even use that expression without getting zapped, under my thumb, and he's going to owe me, owe me a gold-plated pass into heaven for eternity. Really, I can't even take the next breath of oxygen, can I? If he didn't load this planet with oxygen, it's the only one we know of, I think, or give me the breath of life so I can take it in. A not-so-good deed might also be one that... Uh, notes, notes, help me out where we are. Might also be one that's done to enhance my public image. Or anything else that's done, as somebody said, that's for us. A not-so-good worker deed is eye-centered. I found it. I found it. Okay. Now, this is a little more subtle. It certainly was for me anyway. But did you notice all the verses, every one of them that we looked at today, are all talking about do or doing uh, good works or good deeds there's an action flavor running through all of it. And that brings us to our purpose for today, uh, which is a screen or two down from where we are now. Our purpose for today is to be transformed to help other people as we follow Jesus. What I read in here should change, and what we do together here should change what I think up here. And it should also change what I feel here. And what I feel here should change how I relate to other people. What I think here should change what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So, where is Ron in all this? I don't think of myself as a uh, natural people person. And my wife, Diane, would vouch for that, I'm sure. You know, for example, I tend to gravitate toward um, individual sports, uh, like cycling, rather than a team sport like soccer, where I now have to coordinate my schedule with other people. Uh, I do my exercise routine at home rather than at a gym. And that was handy during the pandemic. However, you know, just prepping this message, I'm uh, reminded, uh, perhaps confronted or even challenged, with the thought that more social interaction provides more opportunity to help other people. Or perhaps more opportunity for other people to help me, even if I'm not looking for it or asking for it. So we're going to wrap it up with just another uh, perspective on our big idea. We are saved or transformed not by, but to do good works. When you think about it, it's all about who we were, what Jesus did on the cross, and what we are to do. 
And now the, uh, my homework questions, you get to see them too. These are actually for me, if we uh, get to that screen, is am I doing what is good this week? And the second question is, do my good deeds attract other people toward Jesus? And now let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for going through with the crucifixion. We thank you, Lord, that by your death, we can choose new life. We can hit the update and restart icon and do life with you. Spirit of God, please keep transforming us from the inside out so that we are doing what is good not from duty but because we love you Lord and we're learning to love other people more and help us to help others in attractive ways that bring more glory to you so be it Amen